get a second chance if you stand on a toes. Never get a second glance standing in those clothes. Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Any Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on location in the Florida Panhandle at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival, my guest is a singer-songwriter with over 30 years' experience playing his music all over the world, including Brazil, USA, and his home country of Scotland. Plus, he has even played at the Mandalay Bay Hotel on the famed Las Vegas Strip. His catalog goes back to 2007, and last year his album Whiskey was nominated for Scottish Album of the Year, while his 2018 album Cross Country had been nominated for UK Country Radio Album of the Year. Plus, he is currently writing what will be his eighth album. You've been hearing a song of his called First Impressions. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Michael McMillan. Good morning, Bruce. I, I wondered how you pronounced your surname. <laughs> Many people do, or they wonder how in the world do you spell it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for taking time out from the Songwriters Festival to sit and talk with me today. Let's start off by having you tell the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing, which unfortunately I was talking over, called well, First Impressions. First Impressions. Uh, when I wrote this song, I always thought about um, guys and girls dating. And how you only get one shot uh, on a first date or a, a, a job interview or when you're on stage as a, a singer. Mm. Sometimes you get one shot and it's important to make a, a, a good first impression. But it's a fun song. It is a fun song. Um, yeah. When did you write it and do you kind of remember the genesis getting that idea and, and putting the song together? Sure. It was written, started to write it probably two and a half years ago during the COVID period. Mm. Um, that's when I wrote quite a lot of stuff. And I really, I really was thinking about my career and how first impressions are crucial when you're meeting people because you sometimes only get a, a, a snapshot, a few minutes to make an impression on somebody one way or another. And you have to be genuine as well. Yeah, It's not about being false. But, um, and that, that's how it came about, really. But I think people would think about songwriters during COVID and the mistake would be that for the casual music listener, they would think that the songwriter is probably going to write about that experience wherein it lasted for so long. It really does give you an opportunity to get very reflective and go deeper into things like, let me take a step back, look at my career and some of these facets and, oh, first impressions. And then, like you say, extending it out to dating and other things. Yeah. And ironically, it's called first impressions, but it lasts longer than that as a song. Um, You know, as a song, it's, it's, it's 10, 11, 12 impressions because you go, here's, here it's getting played today again. Mm. So it's not just a first impression, it's a first impression again. Um, you know, so you're, yeah, it, the, the song itself is, is done better than a first impression. But um, yeah, it's not unlike I always say that a guest will bring their own followers to my show, but for my audience, they are being exposed to you for the first, first time. time yeah. And so this is their first impression of you, both That's right. as you're speaking to me and as they're hearing the song. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I played last night and it was a 100 first impressions or mm. however many people were there that night. And not everybody gets the same first impression. Do you know, somebody will be sitting going, this guy is amazing, I hope. And there'll be other people <laughs> sitting there going, nah, it's not my cup of tea. You know? Well, and that's interesting, though, because as far into your career as you are, I give you credit for recognizing that and saying as many shows as I've played, there's still people that are seeing me for the first time when I go on stage and I have to be conscious of, okay, first impressions. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I play every show like it's my first mm. and, and my last, you know, because it could be, you know, um, you know, you, you, you always want to do the very best you can with what you've got. Yeah. Um, plus, I suppose as, as I started, I looked at other artists that were, big influence in my life and I wanted to be like them and then eventually you get to a stage where I just want to be like me the mm. best Michael McMillan I can be you know wow. so that's that's what I'm I'm hoping Michael McMillan is going to give a good first impression wow I like that that song first impressions was on the album of yours that came out last August I'm talking yeah. about 14 months ago 2021 the album was called where wild thistles bloom and I'm really impressed by the fact that that album had 12 songs on it which has really become par for the course for you because going backwards, check this out, audience, the albums that preceded that one had 15 songs, 12, 14, 10, 10, and 10. So you really pack a lot into your releases, as you showed with that album last year. I suppose that's my impatience because I write I write um, a, lot of, a lot of songs. And when I go into the studio, it tends to be the same studios I use. They, they, they try and cut me down to 10. I go, no, I want to put the whole 12 or 14. But keep them, keep them for the next album. I said, well, that may never happen. So I, wanna, I just want to get as, as many songs as I can on the album. And it gives people better value. So does that mean that you're going in with something like maybe 24 or 30 songs and you're whittling it down? No, maybe as, as many as that, but maybe 16, 17 songs. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the engineers or the, the studio producers say, no, come on, let's just cut it. And I think, I, as you said, one of them was 14, which was maybe a bit too many. But um, no, that's what I would do that every time, is get as many on as I could. But that has to be kind of bittersweet going in with say 17 songs for example if they want to cut you down to 10 you kind of look at those seven children of yours Absolutely. and say where are these kids going to go now yeah i mean people have asked me what's your favorite album and it's usually the one i'm writing at the moment mm. do you know whatever one that is because it's new do you know but at the time that one was you know was the was the favorite yeah um yeah but it is, as you say it's your songs are very my, well my songs especially are very personal to me i can't write about beers and bars and trucks i tend to write about real life and real people and uh, people that i've known or stuff that i've known so it is it's is like your children yeah and i like that because you finished saying a few minutes ago I was looking at the people who really influenced me and I wanted to be like them. And then you decide, no, I want to be like me. And when you say it, when you're talking about playing every show, I, I remember one time in church, the priest said to us, live every day as though it's your first day, your last day and your only day. Yeah. And so you're approaching your music kind of with that spirit. Yeah, def no, definitely. And I suppose it's an age thing as well. I mean, I'm not in my 20s anymore, <laughs> uh, or even my 30s. But, you know, um, is, and, you, and you're, I wake up each day blessed. I mean, I wake up in Pensacola Beach and think, I can't believe this wee guy from Scotland's here playing music <laughs> to people that want to hear it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, uh, it's very much like that. But so let's go back to those songs that do drop off. So yeah. where do they go? And, and would you play them at something like the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival or even a traditional 
traditional booking that's not a festival because I, I'm I'm feeling bad for those songs that are not making it on the album. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would play them. I would still play them, um, and and I do play them. There's there's half a dozen songs I'm playing just now that haven't been recorded yet, but they'll be on the next album. Uh, okay, they definitely will get to the next album. And you know, sometimes it's a it's a blessing because I've maybe tweaked a few lyrics and mm. tweaked a few bits of them to make them better than they maybe would have been. Mm. Um, if, yeah. So, no, they don't get, don't ever get discarded. They're always, they're always getting played. I like that. I like that. That's, that's a happy ending to a, what I thought was going to be a sad story. Speaking of recording projects, folks, if you're like Michael doing music, or if you're like me doing podcasts, or heck, maybe you do both, then you have certainly heard the name Focus Right. I cannot say enough how grateful I am to them for sponsoring Now Hear This Entertainment I do hope that you will acknowledge that by supporting them. In fact, if you're doing podcasting, live streaming, or even voiceover work, the audio interface that they came out with in June is for you. It's what I'm using here with Michael right now, and it's called the Vocaster. They had content creators in mind when they designed this, including features like auto gain, enhance, a mute button, Bluetooth capabilities, plus... As is the case with the Vocaster 2, which is the model that I have that Michael and I are recording through right now, the ability to connect two microphones and two sets of headphones, not to mention that you can even connect speakers, cameras, smartphones, a real comprehensive solution for content creators. While there is an unboxing video that I did of this on my YouTube channel, I highly encourage you to go to the Focusrite website to learn more and see which Vocaster is right for you, the one or the two. Use the link in the description of the unboxing video on my YouTube channel or on my podcast website, nhte.net. Look in the right-hand column on desktop or scroll way down on mobile to below the social media logos for the Vocaster ad, which says, tell the world to go learn more about it from the Focusrite website. Michael, as I was saying before, there will be people who come to this interview because they know and follow you. But for my audience, for those just being introduced to you for the first time, my gosh, what a fascinating background that you have to draw from. Let's go through this in stages. No, no music pun intended. <laughs> okay. First, talk about starting into music in your early and mid-teen years, including the instruments you were playing back then and where you were playing and, and with who. Okay, so going back to, I mean, as a kid, my grandpa was a big influence. He let me hear uh, classical music and all sorts of music, but he would bring it to life. He would explain what each instrument did mm. and, and what they were saying in the music. It wasn't just classical music wow. or whatever. So from then I thought, you know, quite fancy doing something in this. And I joined a pipe band and learned to play bagpipes. And to be honest, as a kid in Glasgow, it was the best gang I was ever in <laughs> because, um, you know, I would, I would definitely recommend any kids to get into music because it doesn't matter what colour you are, what religion you are, what size you are. If you can play, you're in. Nobody asks. Mm. It's the best gang you could ever be in is playing in a band of any kind because you all, all of a sudden you've got anything from four to 24 buddies right away um, <laughs> who'll be there. So that was that was a great experience for me, playing in pipe bands. And from there, I learned to play the drums as well um, in the pipe band and started um, playing in rock bands as a drummer, as a, as a young teenager, wow. um, which took me down to London. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Brian Robertson, who was at school with, uh, he joined a band called Thin Lizzy, who some of your listeners yeah, maybe have heard yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he and I went down to London and played around in lo the London scene in the 70s. Um, but you're saying went down to London, but... Well, 
ran away from home is the way I understood it. Yeah, well, <laughs> sadly, my, my, my father took his life when I was young. Mm. And my stepdad and I never really got on. He was a kind of academic guy and I was never, never academic. So we, 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 never, we never got on. And, you know, one thing led to another and I decided just to get away from home. And I just took off and headed off to London at 16 years old, uh, which mm. sounds scary, but... Back in the day, it, London was quite a, a buoyant music scene, and maybe I was just a bit naive. But um, <laughs> I met all sorts of people. We shared a flat with like Stuart Copeland out of the police. Wow! And, um, and you know, but he wasn't in the police at that point, of course. Um, but wow. he he was a great guy, and um, yeah, people like that. And we're, we're rubbing shoulders with with these kind of people. So it's interesting because it started off sounding like, well, I ran away from home for personal reasons because of the relationship or the lack thereof mm. with my stepdad, as opposed to the traditional, oh, ran away from home to go join a rock band and be a musician. And you actually kind of could say it was a combination of the two. If you it, didn't have the music, what would you have run away to? Well, it, yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of that before. But I, I would have had to get out of the house at some point. But yeah, the music helped me to have some kind of goal to go for. Um, naively again, but uh, you're 16, you know it all. You know, you know. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, what about songwriting though? When, where, why, how did you get started into creating original music? Well, I, I couldn't play, I mean, I, I was a drummer, I was a musician's best friend, you know, <laughs> so I couldn't play any instrument that would write songs on, but I always wrote lyrics. Lyrics were always really important to me, what people said, how they said them. I think as a kid, mm -hmm. um, it was important to me if somebody said something to me it was written in stone and I thought it's important what you say and how you say it. So I started listening to the early bands at the time, you know, the Beatles, mm -hmm. um, the Storytellers, the Kinks, the Hollies, you know, bands like that that told a story. Songs like Eleanor Rigby, Waterloo Sunset that I actually thought, wow, it took me to a place. Um, and I thought that's, what I, that's how I tried to write a story that would take listeners to, to the place, like a mini movie almost. You know. so, so about what age was this? I would say 17, 18. Oh, you know, thereabouts. Wow. Yeah, I started writing lyrics down and there were poems at the time. Mm -hmm. um, some of them have come into songs since then. You know, I've, I've used them, I believe it, on, on one of some of my earlier albums. Uh, I've kept them and used them, for, uh, turned them into songs. Well, it's interesting because recently, and this was coincidentally at another songwriters festival in late July, I was in Alabama at the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival and I interviewed Terry Jo Box who said that she gets approached by people all the time that think that they have a song idea for her or a lyric idea or whatever. And in your case, it sounds like you were, as much as you joked about it, you're 16, you know, everything, it sounds like you were mature enough to be listening from the standpoint of a lyricist that you were listening to things people said and the way they said them. Yeah. Again, going back as a kid, I think I was let down so often by adults who mm. said one thing and did the other. Mm. And I think, you know, there's so many songs out today, and I wouldn't name the artist, that that's not really who they are. Mm. Do you know, they're, they're painting a very glamorous picture, but that's not the way they live their life. So I think it's important when you're writing to be real. And, you know, if that's the way you really feel about something, show it by the way you act. You know, there's so many political... You know, genres out there in the music scene and they don't live anything like the way they say they do um so i think it's important to be real to be honest well and it's not too different from when i've worked with young people i have often said 
you can't sing a song about something that you couldn't have possibly experienced if you're 17 or 18 or 19 years old and you're singing about something. And it, for instance, yeah. being in a bar, you have to be 21. So sure. how could you be singing about an experience in a bar when yeah. you're only 19 years old? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's funny, though, about the, the country scene especially, and there's some great writers, don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is about beers and bars and trucks. And I noticed an advert for a new truck that's out that drives itself. You know, it literally drives itself. So how long will it be before somebody writes a song, my truck left me this morning? <laughs> do, do, do you know? Uh, um, because that's the way the world is. But no, I couldn't write about stuff I don't know about. Go back to your hotel when we're done with this interview. <laughs> write that song before this episode comes out because someone's going to hear it and they're going to go, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to steal that from him. <laughs> so yeah, somebody will be doing it right now. You can be sure of it. Oh, that's good stuff, isn't it? And you heard me mention in there, Terry Joe Box. I also had Peter Link on the show a while back, episode 372 specifically. And if you enjoyed that conversation with him, with Peter, then season three of Scattershot Symphony will pique your interest. It's called Rosemary and Time, and it's a 16-episode podcast musical. Think of it like a modern-day Christmas nativity story. God takes a look at today's world and really does not like what he sees, so he decides to send his old trusty angel Gabriel on a mission. The miracle tale takes place in the backcountry of Skeety, Oklahoma, population 139, about a backcountry girl, soon to be a woman, named Time Quinn. Get it? Like Rosemary and Time? Time Quinn. And she's soon to be the wife of the town's only preacher-slash-carpenter, the Reverend Josiah Washburn. One New York theater critic wrote, quote, The incredible Peter Link, along with Reagan Courtney, and his merry band of very talented singers-slash-performers, have come up with a revolutionary retelling of the Christmas story via musical podcast. And if episode one is any indication, you are in for a treat. You're gonna love it. End quote. Scattershot Symphony is available at watchfiremusic.com or your favorite podcasting app, with the exception of Spotify, however. Uh, it's one thing to have influences, meaning specific artists, but it's another to have inspiration to write music that gets influenced by those folks. You actually worked in a couple of roles outside of the music world mm. that you've been able to draw from to write songs about. Sure. I mean, I suppose the music business is a whole ball game of of stories, but I was a police officer for many years um, in Scotland, in the Highlands of Scotland originally, and then in Edinburgh. Um, so you meet, you see life, all, sort, all sides of life, sides of life you wouldn't even imagine. Mm. And it does give you a huge well of material to draw from, uh, you know, in people's lives and um, the stories they tell, good and bad. It's not all bad. Mm. And and for many, many years, I was an addictions counsellor, working with addicts and alcoholics in the community and in prisons. Um, and you see a totally different side of life, a side of life that you couldn't imagine or you, you think you could imagine because you see it in television. Mm. But um, and that, that gives you a wealth of material to write about about people's lives. You know, so. But so those different roles, police officer and addictions counselor mm. and working in the prisons. Yeah. So where were those as it relates to, we heard you saying that you were doing music from a very young age. So yeah. were you still doing music alongside being a police officer, alongside an addictions counselor, etc.? Yeah, I never stopped. I mean, okay, it was in a... In a 
an amateur basis as opposed to a professional basis. But I never stopped writing, never stopped playing. I still played with local bands and put on shows locally when I could um, during my time as a police officer and as an addictions counsellor. Yeah. So it sounds like you later went back and wrote... You weren't writing about the experiences, quote-unquote, as they were happening. No, no. I mean, I would maybe... I, I, the way I work is I, I jot down ideas, mm-hmm. just a couple of wee sketches, and they go in a, a book, and mm-hmm. it's maybe a year later before I go through that book and start putting together songs. Wow, wow. Is it difficult to come back, quote-unquote, so much later and say, what was I thinking when I wrote this a year ago? Somet- yes, <laughs> sometimes I really could kick myself for not putting some notes down about it mm-hmm. because I think, what was I thinking when I wrote that? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it doesn't make sense. But a lot of the time it does, I remember exactly. A, a funny story, I did play a show in the prison um, and in a high-security prison outside Glasgow, and I love working with these guys. And at the end of it, this guy came up to me and he said, uh, me and the guys... We like your songs, but we don't know any of them. And I said, well, you know, these are songs I wrote myself. These are my own songs, and this is priceless. And he, he thought about it and he said, can you not write songs that we know? And, <laughs> and I thought, you know, well, I know what he meant, but yeah, thought, one day, one day I will write songs that you know. But uh, I, thought that was, I thought that was great. And I love that side of life as well. You know, I, love, I can see the humour in most things, you know. Oh, my gosh. But I would think that it really has to make you connect with the audience a lot easier because you worked in prisons. So you know exactly, because you made a good point before when you say some people might see what's on TV and go, let's write a song about that. Well, you're writing about the TV version and TV is a whole lot different. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, from the actual being in the inside, working alongside these guys, same as being a police officer. Sure. I mean, my wife, kicks me all the time because we're watching a TV show about cops. And I go, that would never happen. That would never, It's a TV program. Just watch it. <laughs> Do you know? And I went, yeah, but that would never... Why don't they make it realistic? That would never happen, you know? But, yeah. But I think there's also an audience that you can tap into that a lot of people, for obvious reasons, would just be too afraid. If someone said, we've got an opportunity, if you want to come and play at a prison, yeah. this is what it pays, this is how long you play for, this is what the configuration would be, where you are, and and some people are going to say, oh, that's boy, I, I got I to gotta pass on that, it's just a little too scary for me. I'll play absolutely anywhere that there'll be a listening audience. I don't care where it is. Um, if it's a listening audience and people want to hear my music, I'll be there. I'm happy to be in a, a house concert, a church, a prison, anywhere. You know, I played large concert halls as well and small intimate concerts. So anywhere there's a listening audience, I'm happy to play for them, really. But so let's get back to you saying about these experiences that you had and jotting down some notes about them coming back a year later. So have lyrics primarily been your strong suit? Because at what point does the melody come in, especially, again, looking back a year at some notes and going, what was I thinking here? Now you're having to face, what was I thinking here? And oh, by the way... What am I going to do with this melodically? Yeah, I mean, the lyric's the main thing. What, what am I trying to say? That's, that's, the, that's the main thing for me. What do I want to say? And how do I think that's going to touch people? I just want my songs to touch people's lives. That's every, when I write a song, that's what, I, that's what my, my goal is, in some way or another. And then I'll find the, the, the melody. Is it going to be a dark song? How, how does it sound to me when I'm saying it? Mm. When, I, when I read the lyric, what does, does it sound dark or does it sound happy? Yeah, so and then I'll look for a melody that will fit that. Yeah, I mean, that's automatically going to influence the chords that you're going to choose. Yeah. And so I don't want to dumb it down and say it's starting to write itself because obviously there's a lot more that goes into it. But once you start seeing those chords, like you say, the feel of the lyrics, you go, okay, 
think I have an idea. Yeah, I mean that's it. Plus, sometimes I'm affected. I've maybe been watching a TV series, and I think I like the I like the feel of that. I'm mm. going to write a song about somebody I know that's you know in that feel. Um, like there's a, there was a series called Peaky Blinders. I don't know if you guys got that here, but it was, it was a pretty dark show. But it reminded me a lot of stuff that was I dealt with as a, a police officer, as an addictions counsellor in my own life. So that kind of influenced me to write some stuff. Hmm. Some of my songs. Wow, good stuff. So let's have a teaching moment here for anyone in the audience who is an aspiring songwriter because we hear the word influences a lot. So talk about how to strike a balance between being influenced by another artist yet establishing your own sound. Okay, so I, I suppose a great example is one of the first great songwriters that still influences me was Jackson Brown. And he had an album out way back, I think it's 50 years old now, Late for the Sky, and there was a song on it called Fountain of Sorrow. And there was one line in it, and it just said, uh, looking through some photographs, I was taken by a photograph of you. And I thought, that line, I was taken by a photograph of you, that's clever. And I thought, you know, but it said, I know exactly what he means. But it's, and I thought, you know, don't just put words in, try and think what they're saying and how to say them. Mm. So, and then I started listening to all of his other stuff and there was so much, uh, so very, very clever lyricist and melodic writer. So I started listening to people of that genre, you know, that, that, were, that were saying things back in the early Neil Young stuff. And Bruce Springsteen's clever at writing stuff, although he now admits a lot of the stuff he didn't, he, he wasn't involved in at all, but <laughs> he's very, very clever at just taking you to that place. But at the heart of all this, though, as I said, with the way that I phrased the question is, people can say to you, gee, Michael, I hear that. I hear the Jackson Brown influence in what you like. And that has to be a compliment only up until a point, because you don't want them to say, you sound just like Jackson Brown. Right. Yeah. I want you to say, you sound like Michael McMillan. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess, as, a, as a, like I was saying earlier, I would maybe try, maybe early in my early days, I would have tried to aspire to, that somebody would say, you sound like Jackson Brown. I would have taken that as a real compliment, but not, not realising then, no, I want them to say, you sound like Michael McMillan. And that's what I'm, that's what I want to do now. There is a, through all my albums, there's a, a likeness, that it's, that it's me that's not Jackson Brown or Bruce Springsteen or the Beatles mm. or whatever. Whereas a, as a young, immature songwriter, you're maybe trying to sound like somebody. Mm. And now I don't want to do that, you know. So if somebody listened to a new release of yours and they wrote a review and they said, this artist clearly has influences of, and they mentioned a couple artists, how does that make you feel? I think it's a bit of a cheat because... Um, Usually when I'm doing an interview, they've already asked me who my influences are. Ah. But I wondered if I hadn't told them, you know, would they have guessed that? You know, and there's been nobody that said to me, you sound like Jackson Brown, that didn't know I liked Jackson Brown. Mm. Do you know? Um, so that's good, I suppose. Um, it would have been nice, I suppose, if I hadn't told them and they, they yeah. still said that. Yeah. But no, I, I don't, I really don't want to sound like Jackson Brown. Um, and nobody so far has yet said, I can see your influences. Um, yeah, I think if they came to you and maybe at the festival, say, yeah. gee, I, I've been listening to your songs tonight and your writing sounds like it's been influenced by artist X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Now you think, okay, this person is a little more discerning yeah. and I've, they just walked up to the stage. I don't know. It wasn't an interview that Absolutely. I was doing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose that's a good point as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I don't try now to sound like... Like one of my albums was country album of of the year and I, I got away from that immediately I don't want to be a country singer I don't ever consider myself to be a country singer but these people God bless them 
decided that that album was going to be put forward for country album of the year. Um, I've never thought of myself as a country artist, so um, there you go. There's an example of maybe people thought you're obviously influenced by country music, uh-huh. uh, and I'd never thought of that ever. You know. Um, so, so this brings up the question that I, from time to time, will say to an artist when we start talking about genre. I'll I'll put that challenge out there of okay, Michael, you're filling something out on the internet and it has a drop down box and you can only pick one genre. Which one would you usually go towards? It's a difficult one because the United States considers folk music to be totally different than where Scotland would consider folk mu- music. So, if it was a United States thing, I would put folk mm-hmm. because that brings up people like James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Guy Clark, these kind of guys. Whereas in Scotland, folk is twiddly dee. You know, it's you know, it's mm. um, Kaylee music, or you know, that it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so it's difficult because I would never put it doesn't the songwriter. I suppose if there was a yeah. if there was a singer songwriter yeah. drop down box, I'd put that in. Gotcha. Uh, there usually isn't though. Yeah, <laughs> sadly. I'm joined today on location in the Florida Panhandle at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival by singer, songwriter, guitar player Michael McMillan. Visit his official website at michaelmcmillanmusic.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. At the top of his website, you will see logos to go engage with Michael on social media, being Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. There's also a Spotify logo that you can utilize so that you can follow him on that platform. But support Michael by purchasing his original music. Not only is there an Apple Music link on michaelmcmillanmusic.com, but you can purchase his original music directly through his website via the Buy link in the website menu. There's also another unique option on his site that I will have Michael talk about in just a minute. Speaking of clicking on website links, have you used the YouTube logo on my podcast website, nhte.net, to go over to my channel and watch the unboxing video I did of the replacement ear pads from Dakoni Audio? What they do is such a cool concept. If you're a musician, a podcaster, a gamer, an audio engineer, basically if you're somebody who wears headphones, Dakoni makes replacement ear pads specific to the brand and model headphones that you have. In my case, the pleather, as I continue to say, was peeling, and so I would end up with little black residue on my ears and or on my shirt, and I pretty much figured I wasn't going to be able to wear these headphones anymore. But Dakoni just needs to know which company made the headphones you have and which specific model they are, and boom, just like that, I'm able to have new pads that are super comfortable in my ears, and it eliminates the peeling problem, obviously. In the video on YouTube, I show how easy it is to replace your headphones ear pads with what Dakoni sends you. On my podcast website, nhte.net, in the right-hand column on desktop or by scrolling way down on mobile to just below the social media logos, look for the Dakoni Audio logo and tap or click on that to go over to their website and see the ones that I got from them and then look for the ones for your headphones. Lots of cool colors and different styles, by the way, that Dakoni offers. Michael, in there I was mentioning about a unique option on your website, which is something that says write a song. Share with the audience what that is that you offer. Okay, so a lot of people uh, have come across, you know, come up to me at the end of a show and say, look, I wish I could do that. And I said, well, you can. I mean, you don't really need... Um, I mean, I think even songwriters, um, it, it's, it, I'm not saying it's very easy, but 
if you just think about what you want to see, what do you really want to see? And you might just want to say to your grandmother or your grandfather or a, lo- or a colleague, I care about you, I love you, or I'm there for you. So there you are, you've got the first line. It's not difficult, you know, you don't need to have a, a musical instrument to, to figure that out. Just what do you want to say? And I'll talk you through that. And I can either, if you have some musical experience, you can write the, the music yourself, or if you want me to put a melody to it, I can do that for you. But at the end of the day, we will write the song together, but the song will be 100% yours. I have no hold over it at all. It's just you are going to write a song, and I'm going to help you to do that. Um, and then we can, then I'll, I can take it, if you want, to a studio and put a backing track on it for you and, and sing it, or you can sing it. Um, so it's very, very easy. It's just really starting off by saying, what do you want to say? And these, you're doing these over Zoom, you're doing it over WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And, and is it six sessions? Do I understand that? Or Yeah. I mean, I put six because I wanted to put a limit on it because um, I don't really think you'll need any more than that to write it. And then the, the hard work goes on behind the scenes after the six sessions by myself or whoever we're going to do it with. Um, but yeah, it's usually over six sessions on Zoom or Skype or something like that. Um, and we'll, we'll tweak it as we go on. So mm-hmm. we'll, are we getting too close to what you're trying to say to that person? It could be a work colleague. It could be anybody at all. You might just want to say it to yourself and just get it out there. Mm. Do you know, it's just something you wanted to say. Um, so but I like that idea, though, of putting a limit on it because it also starts to teach the average Joe or Joan about songwriting insofar as not getting caught up, as some people do, as you know, in the yeah. business of they just go back and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and the song is never done. So you're kind of educating them along the way of not only is this how a song gets written, but you got to have a point where it's done. Yeah. And let's get it recorded. Yeah. I mean... It's it's hundred percent right what you're saying, Bruce. Um, Bruce Springsteen. I read just recently read one of his autobiographies, and when he got John Landau and to finally produce, his band were delighted because he would, he finally realizes I don't know anything about producing, and the band were delighted because take sixty seven. And they're going, Bruce, the first, <laughs> the first one was the best, do you know? Um, so it's, it's right, because you can, it's like a painting. You can go back and change it a million times, and the first bit was the best, do you know? So, yeah, you have to put a limit on it and say, look, let's yeah, just... shame on me. I always pride myself for this mental Rolodex I have of the guests that have been on, which episode number it was, and who said what. And I'm, maybe it's too early for me in the morning, but I'm trying to remember somebody recently said... You know, you can do like three or four takes, but usually it's the first one that was the best one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Unless, okay, there's a guitar, a guitar player who's, you know, wants to do the solo again. Yeah, and it's maybe not any better than the first one. Yeah, you know, but yeah. And and obviously, as you're walking that person on Zoom, on Skype, whatever, through the songwriting process. Yeah, obviously the first session you're not going to. Well, I guess we don't need a second. That was great, but it's it's walking them through that and getting them to understand that. We're going to close in on this faster than you think. It doesn't have to be an eight-month process to write one song. Plus, people that don't know music and new musicians, when they go to record, they put everything but the kitchen sink on the the song, and it doesn't need it. If it's a good song, a guitar is enough. You know, you don't need choirs and orchestras and three keyboards and you know (laughs) um, to make it a better song. You know, if it's a good song, it's a good song. Let's talk about. That life, meaning functioning as an independent singer-songwriter. As the audience can tell, with an eighth album currently being written, the nominations that your music has gotten, all the different places you've performed at, 
Are you doing this all yourself, or do you have, say, a, a manager, or a booking agent, any folks like that that work for you, with you? No, unfortunately, I'm doing it all myself, Bruce, and I really would love to work with other people, a manager or an agent uh, who would get on board with me and uh, and, and guide me through that because it's, um, it's, a, it's a very costly... Um, I mean, don't ever marry a musician, people, because um, you're going to be poor. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love doing it, and that's why I do it. That's the only reason I do it is because I love doing it. But has that always been the case, or was it uh, at one point I had a manager, or I had a booking agent, or I had a label deal, or anything? No, no I've never never had a deal. Um, and, and again, you have to weigh up, what does a deal really mean anyway? I mean, signed to a label, what does that actually mean nowadays? I don't know if it means much, um, unless it's one of the big ones. Um, so no, I've been doing it under my own steam, and I must say I'm getting, t- getting tired <laughs> of it. I would love to have, find a manager who could book me into the right places and uh, or an agent rather uh, could book me into the right places as opposed to me sitting making thousands of phone calls and mm-hmm. sending thousands of emails to people that don't open them what I could be writing I could be but writing hats off to you nonetheless though for all that you have accomplished and yeah. it's always been just you that's, yeah that's tremendous yeah. Um, but I suppose people know what they're getting then <laughs> they don't have to phone five people to find out about Michael McMillan they can speak to Michael McMillan direct yeah you yeah. know um, wouldn't that be great if you could do that with Bruce Springsteen? Do you know, <laughs> just, just phone Bruce. <laughs> or God. Do you know, do you know? Uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask you about performing here at the festival. But first, Brazil really jumps out at me when I read all of your career highlights. Why Brazil? How have you gotten to perform there? Okay, that, that came about through a, a Christian connection, the church we went to. Um, and we met these um, Brazilian missionaries who came to Glasgow. Um, to do some work there and they ended up staying in our house and they said you must come to Brazil to Sao Paulo mm. and um, you know you, you, with my experience as a, a police officer and an addictions counsellor um, we went over there uh, and worked in the favelas in Sao Paulo which are scary places let me tell you I mean I had no idea how big Sao Paulo was I mean the total population of of um, Scotland is just under 6 million. Sao Paulo, there's 27 million people there. So, wow. so it's a big, big place. But but we ended up playing music in the churches. Uh, some of them asked me to come and play some of my songs, which I did, which was fantastic because th- these people have less than nothing, mm. less than nothing, and uh, they were willing to come and, and listen. So uh, it was a great, great experience. Scary place, so very dangerous place, but a wonderful country. Mm. Yeah. But you talked a little bit before about prisons, and, and now you're starting to talk about churches, and, and you mentioned even house concerts that mm. uh, it sounds like you've done a, enough of to decide. I'm, I'm just as happy doing house concerts, too. Yeah. Well, I, I, house concerts are probably my favorite because it's a very intimate setting. I mean, we did I did some last time I was in Texas, and some were like 20 people, some there was like 120 people. Um, big house um, but yeah it's an intimate venue and I can get to speak and I open it up for questions I like to people to ask mm. you know about anything anything they want to ask me about whether it be Scotland or life or anything or music you know um, so it's, I like house concerts that's impressive though because I would think that most artists would go into yes even a house concert with their set list and knowing this is what I need to get accomplished tonight and I would think and shame on me for assuming which is always a bad word I would think that most artists would say I'm not going to take questions. I don't want to get sidetracked from my agenda, which is this list of songs I intend to play. Uh, no, I'm. I'm. I'll, I'll just take it as it comes. I don't. I mean, I. I do have a, a an outline, a blueprint of what I'm going to do. Um, but I have to be open to if something interesting comes up, I'll. I'll. I'll develop that 
conversation mm-hmm. and maybe miss out one of the songs I was going to do or maybe not it'll just will just last a bit mm. longer they'll get better value because I'm not looking at my watch I'm not saying right I need to be out of here for yeah. you know you only booked me for two hours yeah. and it's, you know if it goes on three hours so what you know I don't care you know I want the audience especially those of you who are aspiring performers to pick up on a couple of things that Michael has said here number one is the Brazil opportunity coming through meeting somebody and you and I were talking before we started recording today about the fact that you're going to leave this festival and you're going to go play a bunch in Texas and I asked Michael how does that come to be Texas that's kind of random where does that come from and again meeting people yeah I mean Texas came from playing at Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival I've just done a set here and this big guy came up to me, a Texas songwriter called Bernie Nelson, plug, plug. Um, and he said, you should play in Texas. And I said, yeah, don't ever say that to me because I'll be there. <laughs> and I said, how do I do that? So we kept in touch and this other couple contacted me and said, look, come and stay with us and we'll book your shows in Texas. So um, that's that. That's what happened. And next thing I'm flying flying to Texas, to the hill country, to meet these people I'd never met before. And um, they'd never met me. And so it's, it's a trust thing as well, I suppose. Yeah, but it also shows the value of getting out there and meeting people as opposed to going to something like this, only playing the shows that you're booked and just, quote-unquote, hiding in your hotel room the whole time. Then you're going to sit there and wonder, how are these other people that I see getting all these opportunities? Well, they're out there meeting and talking to people, yeah. and they're they're putting themselves in a position to yeah. receive these opportunities and these invitations. Yeah, I mean relationships are what it's all about for me anyway it's about building relationships and and lasting ones it's not what can i get from you and so many people come across that way you know and i suppose that's the the animal instinct what can i get from you or what you know not what can i give um and it's just sometimes your time can open doors not your music you know if you're willing to spend some time with people and actually listen to what they're saying um, for a few minutes before you tell them all about you, and yeah. um, that can open more doors than they do. Yeah, they know what you do musically. You know. Yeah, there's somebody that I used to work with who he used to say, "You are not being a good communicator if you're listening to someone and all you're doing is waiting for them to finish so that you can jump in and tell them all the stuff you want to say about yourself." Yeah, and I get why people are like that because they're they're panicking that this is my one chance. Yeah. I need to tell you everything about myself. <laughs> um, and I get that. I understand why people do do that. And but then when I was in second grade, my yeah, teacher said, that <laughs> "Yeah, somebody told me I was great." And um, you know, I once I once shared a coffee with a guy that used to know. Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Where's this going? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Of course, we are here in the Florida Panhandle where you're performing throughout the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival. I'm pretty sure you've been to this event before. You just mentioned the the one experience with meeting the guy from Texas. But what's the attraction for you to come and play at this event different from, say, churches, house concerts, or or even the large concert halls where you've performed? Are you kidding? Have you looked out the window? Look at (laughs) at that view. No, uh, I I just love the area. I mean, it's a beautiful area to come to. And I like that there's some huge songwriters, huge names that are very humble. I mean, um, you could sit, you could virtually be sitting next to a guy that's written Garth Brooks's hits or George Strait's or you know Bruce Springsteen. You know, you know, you know. I mean, and they're humble. They're just real people. There's no, well, there's not many. There's, I wouldn't say there's no stars. There are some stars out there, <laughs> but sadly, the ones that are stars maybe don't have a right to be that way. But no, I like. I just like it. it's just it's they're real. It's real. It's real people um, playing their songs, and I, and I like that. We've made one or two references throughout our conversation to large concert halls. I'm holding up air Mm. quotes. 
Where have those been? In the UK or in the yeah. States or both? No, in the UK. I played at the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow as part of uh, Celtic Connections, which is a big music event. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm no more phased at playing to 3,000 people than I am to three people. It can be just as nerve-wracking playing to people that are sitting right in front of you. <laughs> um, sometimes it's easier playing in a big concert hall because um, mm. you don't actually get to see them because of the lighting. But no, I've played a few, uh, few concert halls. And in the UK, yeah. I've mentioned a couple of times that you're currently writing what will be your eighth album. Mm. What's the timetable for that? And then what else is on the horizon in terms of what you have your eye on for the near future? I suppose the, the, the quick answer is I don't know how the, t- the time limit on it because it's to do with money and um, these things cost a lot of money to do and I have to try and raise that myself, which isn't, isn't you know, so whenever I get enough money to record it and I don't know when that will be, um, I'm hoping it'll be sometime over the next six months or so. But does that mean that it's all written? I've got six songs written for it so far. Okay. Um, so I've got another another six or seven in the pipeline that, you know, there bits and pieces need to be finished on. So, yeah, I mean, I reckon within the next six months I'll have enough 12 songs for an album. But it's it's raising the money to, to record it as, as the drawback or the hold-up. And are any of them going to be songs that you had written previously and didn't make it onto an album or they're all brand new? And they're pretty much all brand new. Um, there's a couple, I think there's two from a previous album that I didn't, they didn't go into the last album. But I think, um, I think I've changed them a wee bit as well. Um, so, yeah, they're pretty much all brand new uh, apart from these two. Yeah. And you mentioned that after the festival, you're leaving here and you're going to Texas for, I think you said, five weeks. Yeah, I'm going up to, I'm going up to the Hill Country to play around Fredericksburg and that area. I've got one in Dallas, one in Houston. But yeah, till the 21st of November. And anything else that you have your eye on for the near future other than the album and, and all the playing in Texas? Well, my, my main focus would be to try and get an agent that could do this for me because it's harder and harder and um, to try and find places to play. I'm supposed to be playing in Idaho in July. Hmm. Um, again, this was a guy I met in Nashville. Um, he, he's a songwriter and we just bumped into each other in a bar. And he said, you must come up to Idaho. I said, I'd love to. And that was four years ago so it's happening now <laughs> so um, again another relationship and Colorado as well again through somebody I bumped into wow. um, so that that I'm looking forward to that just a, a change but the world just now as you know with with Covid having been and with all that's going on in the world with politics and all that it's not it's a bit of a mess just now traveling yeah. about and airports are not my favorite places but yeah uh, well and especially when you have to come from another country yeah yeah. And, and only adds an extra layer that nobody really enjoys. That's right. And the cost of it has gone up since COVID. You know, I noticed everything seems to have gone up in price. We're going to close today with another one of Michael's original songs, one called Until We Meet Again. Before I let you go and I play that track, Michael, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Okay, this is from my Whiskey album, um, and it's about lost friends, absent friends we've lost over the last few years. And I think everybody's had somebody in their life that's not there any longer in some way or another. But we will meet again, uh, you know, in a better place. So, yeah, that's what this one's about. Is it something that you experienced over the last few years that was directly the, I'll call it inspiration, it's kind of the wrong word to use, or was it just, as you said, happens to all of us and it's a logical song? No, it's personal experience as well, yeah. Um, Sadly, I've lost some good friends, you know, over the last year to two with one thing and another. Cancer is an awful thing. Um, mm. So, yeah. It's, uh, and I know there are some religions that do light a candle uh, on an annual basis to commemorate things. So I got that line. The first line, there's a candle on the table mm. um, for the one who slipped away. 
um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's personal experience and experience of close friends. And I'm glad that you singled out cancer specifically because I think since you had just finished talking about what the world has been through the last couple of years, the tendency is to say, oh, he knows somebody that died from COVID. Mm. And you do all of a sudden forget about, hey, let's not forget about some of the things that unfortunately we're losing close ones Absolutely. to for reasons that they were always being lost to before COVID. And now we've been retrained to automatically have this knee-jerk reaction. Oh, was it COVID? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know the figures, but we were always quoted COVID figures. But how many people died of cancer that week? Mm. Or died of whatever else, you know, blood-related disorders. What you know, I mean, you don't get those figures. Or yeah. alcoholism, you know, you know. Mm. But it was COVID was the big thing because that's what the, that's what that was what the world was focused on. And you on. say alcoholism because again, you have that muscle memory of the time that you spent as an addictions counselor, yeah. and so again, it's it's. I think it's kind of bittersweet that you have a lot of material to draw from. That even though you said before, some of it's good. But when you think about being a policeman, when you're thinking about addictions work, when you think about prisons, you yeah. think, boy, boy, this guy's probably got a lot of ballads in him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm not getting into the political thing, but when they when they quoted you alcohol-related diseases in the UK, they didn't include death with violence, car crashes. Could you imagine if they put all that stuff into the, the pot? It would probably be the biggest figure. Ever, I mean, drugs would not, would be way down the list. Are you alcohol. talking about alcohol related violence and alcohol related yeah. car? Okay, yeah, because okay. most violence is is caused. There's alcohol involved in it mm. somewhere. Um, you know, alcohol related deaths in cars, thousands and thousands, but they don't go into the figures. You know, it's all like pancreatic cancer or whatever it's liver disease or you know that kind of thing. That's that's the figures they're quoting you, but not anything to do with the the other stuff, mm. the car crashes or wow. you know. But anyway, no, I'm getting on. My, I'm, I'm yeah, getting I was going to say apologies, <laughs> audience, that we're leaving you on a happy note. But Michael, it's really great having you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to meet you guys. It really has. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you for for coming on. Now Thanks Here's for this asking. Entertainment. Me. You bet. You bet. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player Michael McMillan. Do visit his official website at michaelmcmillanmusic.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on Michael's website, do utilize the logos at the top to engage with him on social media. I have liked his music page on Facebook, and I have followed him on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm sure that he would appreciate you doing the same. We did not talk about his YouTube channel, but there is a link for that, too, on his website, so you can go watch and like the videos on there, as well as, of course, subscribing. For that matter, tell Michael that you heard him and his music, and now hear this entertainment. You heard Michael talk about the opportunity to write a song with him. Use that option on his website to connect with him for that collaboration. Remember that Michael's music is streaming on Spotify, so do give him a follow on there. However, the best way to support him is to purchase downloads of his music via the link at the top of his website for Apple Music, or better yet, utilize the buy option in the website menu to order his music directly through his site. I am grateful to everyone who listens to this show each week. Hopefully you have hit the follow button or whatever podcast app you listen to now hear this entertainment through. There might actually be a couple out there that still call it subscribing instead of following. Either way, it is free. If you're not sure if you've done so, take a minute to double check that you are following, that you're subscribed so that you don't miss any episodes and you automatically get the newest episode each week. 
That's going to do it for episode 454. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Michael McMillan. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Until We Meet Again. There's a candle on the table For the one who slept away And I cry when I am able world gets in the way I hear you calling in the wind and rain I hear your laughter everywhere Your perfume fills the air each night But I know that you're not there The snow is falling Peace on earth to every man And our friends they keep on calling I know they're doing the best they can Their cards and gifts unopened But you're not there to hold my They don't understand That you were my lover And you were my friend There will never be another Until we meet again Yes, you were my lover cry when I am able But the world gets in the way